The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, hey, uh, glad you're here today. It is a warm day, so be aware of that. I know for some of you, you're watching online and maybe you're sitting poolside. Maybe you are in air conditioning. Maybe you're in a vehicle looking through a windshield. But uh, thanks for joining us. We're glad you have today. If you're looking for a spot in Scripture, we're going to land. It's going to be Matthew chapter 13. So if you got a Bible or you got a phone with a Bible app, that's great too. I do want to remind you, not because everything I say is so amazing, but because I think it's important, but I encourage encourage you to take notes, even if it's, if it's on the notes app on your phone or the pages app, or maybe you actually have a pad of paper and an actual pencil or pen, um, you know, from the 1970s or something. Anyway, just kidding. But no, um, take notes. And I, I say that because maybe later today or maybe sometime later this week, you can stop and sit down and kind of walk through some of what we're talking about today. Uh, Cause I think that could be really, really helpful. Like I said, we're going to be in chapter 13 of Matthew and um, we're in a series called Soul uh, soul food. And uh, part two today, we're going to talk about the soul and sin. And so we'll get to that here momentarily. I've had the um, opportunity a few times to go to London, and uh, my wife and I enjoy London a lot. But one of my favorite places in London is called the Churchill War Rooms. And I enjoy it because I do love history. And for some reason, I've always loved that period of time that was before and leading up to and during World War II. And so even when I was there, when you go to the war rooms, it's actually the bunkers that Churchill and, and his you know individuals kind of working on strategy for the war would go to for safety and, and, and all that. So there's rooms there and you can see some of the maps on the walls and you can see they've set up some of the cots as they would have been set up during that time and, and where Churchill actually, uh, his bunk and all that stuff. It's fascinating. But during that time, I also bought a book that I read on vacation in London called The Dark Charisma of Adolf Hitler, which I read. And then um, for Christmas this last year, my wife got me a book by Eric Larson called The Splendid and the Vile. It's about Churchill and Roosevelt and um, Hitler and Mussolini and just all of the the kind of conversations they sort of had and different stuff um, leading up to and into World War II. And then I also then after that read a book also by Eric Larson called In the Garden of Beasts. And it's really during the 1930s before World War II about an ambassador to Germany from America and him watching kind of how things began to change systematically over time. Uh, and so I don't know what it is about World War II, but again, I am relatively fascinated by it. And someone once said, war is hell. The truth is, I've never experienced the idea of air raids or bombings or, you know, gunfire, firefights and stuff like that. I realize that some of those that have served in our military have experienced some of those things. And God bless you, because I personally can't imagine having to be in that situation. At the same time, I want to remind us that Peter says, as we left off last week in 1 Peter 2, verse 11, dear friends, he's talking to anybody that would say, I'm a follower of Jesus. So when he says, dear friends, that's us. He says, dear friends, I urge you, I plead with you, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world, he says, to abstain or stay away from sinful desires and he says it this way, which wage war against your souls. So, so what Peter is saying here is that there actually is a war happening that you and I are in all the time, and it's a war that we're in for our souls. 
We feel this war at different times. Paul mentions this idea or this battle of doing what we want to do and not doing what we should do and, and all this stuff in Romans chapter seven. Write that down. You can look it up later, but he talks of it. So there is a battle. We are at war and our souls hang in the balance. In the book John Ortberg writes called Soul Keeping, which is the basis for our soul food series, when he writes, uh, he talks about an individual who is losing their war for their soul. And he says this, in high school, Steve was a wonderful football player. Hurting his knee in junior college, he dropped out, got married, <coughs> and had a child. He never, listen to this, he never chose to defy God. He just drifted. And some of us are really familiar with that process. He never chose to defy God. He just drifted. It was easier to drink beer than work on his marriage. So he got divorced. It was easier to complain than to work with all his soul. So he lost his job. It was easier, listen to this, to avoid people who would challenge him to tend to his soul. So he hung out with people who would honor his desire for comfort above all else. He lives with his son now. After being estranged for years, he is there only because he has nowhere else to go. He watches vast amounts of porn in his bedroom to pass the time. He has lost his health. He doesn't even take care of his body. He is waiting to die, and when he does, nobody will mourn. But outside Steve's bedroom door, if he only knew, his son waits for him to say one word of sorrow or regret or love. It takes a little, such a tiny little depth in the soil to give the seed a chance. And we all have heard of stories like this, people losing the battle for their soul, people drifting away and little by little creating messes that they aren't even sure what to do about or how to get out of. But here's the thing, not only do you and I know of these stories, but if you and I were really brutally honest at times in our lives, we are these stories. Stories where we're not guarding our soul. Stories where, where we realize, as I said last week, we're experiencing disintegration. And I explained last week how that word disintegration isn't just dissolve, go away, but the parts of us that are our soul become disintegrated. When you think of something integrated, it's the parts working properly together so the machine is doing what it's supposed to do. Disintegration is when the parts are disjointed and it isn't working well. And so when John Ortberg talks of the soul and he looks at scripture, he talks about it this way, and I'm gonna do this briefly, but he explains it like a target. And if you missed last week or maybe you didn't write this down, this is probably worth at least writing down. Think of a target and write down, you have the bullseye in the middle and write the word will. And at the center of us is our will, our freedom to choose, make decisions good or bad. Our will at the center. And then one rung out from that, write down mind and emotions. And that's the next ring out. And then the third ring out on the target is the word body, our flesh, who we are, okay? Our desires, all that stuff. And then outside of that, and it encompasses the whole target, is the final ring, and that's our soul. Our soul is made of our will, our mind slash um, emotions, working together to make decisions, and then our body. 
And when those aren't working properly together and connected in the right way to the source, things become disintegrated. The truth is, there's an enemy that is trying to disintegrate our souls. You hear phrases from people, they'll say things like, their life is falling apart, or they can't keep it together, or, or you know, they're coming apart at the seams, or they're in pieces. It's really a description of, of the soul of an individual. Things aren't together as they should be. Now, I love that Jesus taught us all kinds of things to keep you and I in touch with our souls. And so in Matthew 13, starting at verse three, he shares this parable with individuals. Then he told them many things in parables saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. What a perfect description for, for the hottest day of the year. The sun came up, scorched the shallow plants, and they withered because they had no root. Verse 7, other seed fell among the thorns that grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred or sixty or thirty times what was sown. Verse 9, whoever has ears, let them hear. And Jesus, I pray that we would hear today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would do something in every single one of us that would help us realize the value, the value of this parable, as Jesus says it, not only way back when to a crowd, not only to his disciples, but God to us today. This matters. And so we surrender to your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's Jesus. And again, he's teaching the crowds. Now I want you to notice there's a couple of things that are constant and, and really theologically constant throughout history. There is always a farmer, and I don't mean somebody that lives out in Monroe or in North Marysville or wherever that's out sowing seed. There is always a farmer, meaning there is always a God in heaven that is consistently farming, and, and I'm going to get to what he's farming here in a minute. The other thing that's consistent, if there's always seed being sown. There is always the word of the word of God going out and knocking on our souls, knocking on our hearts. Those are always consistent. They've been consistent throughout history, and that's always happening even right now today. The one thing that is not consistent in this parable, and you can replace the word soil because that's what's not consistent, replace it with the word soul. What's not consistent is the condition of the soul to receive the seed that God is always planting within our hearts. And so when Jesus talks of these soils, he's talking about what's going on at the core of us, our soul. And so he starts out with this, this description of the path. And he says this, as he was scattering seed, some fell along the path. You and I are well aware, and we don't even have to get very far into it to understand what the path is. When seed goes or ends up on a path, that seed won't take root because the path is hard. Animals track across it back and forth. Carts get wheeled across it. Modern day, you have things like tractors and trucks and vehicles that go along the path over and over and seed that falls there won't be allowed to take root because it's too hard. And let me just take it to the soul today. 
and talk about the problem of a hard heart. Our hearts at times become hard. And, and while God is trying to knock on the door of our hearts and, and, and allow that seed to fall on something that would produce some kind of, of, of vegetation, some kind of fruit, we don't allow it because our hard hearts have been hurt. And oftentimes, the hurt you experience and the hurt I experience, the conclusion that we could so easily, and it happens all the time, that we could so easily come to is that when we get hurt, you know what? I'm never gonna allow that to happen again. I'm never gonna allow myself to be hurt like that again. And so we put a wall up and we don't let people in, but the problem is it grieves the heart of our Heavenly Father in the midst of the pain we face because we're not navigating that pain appropriately. God wants us, and this may sound weird to you, but God wants us to embrace the process of healing from the pain. Instead of walling off and not allowing hurt to ever happen again, what it does is it never allows us to have the kind of relationship that God intends. It never allows us to have the depth of intimacy with others around us, whether it's friends or our own family or heaven forbid, our spouses in marriage. The hard heart. When Jesus explains the parable, he says this, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, he's talking about the hard heart. The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. And then we get to the rocky soil. And this is soil where there is some soil. There's something to be taken root. But the problem is there's not a depth to it. And so he talks about the sun coming up. Well, let's talk for a second about rocky soil and the idea of being shallow. There is something about this world that keeps you and I shallow, that we're willing to talk about the Seahawks or the Mariners or, or, or the, the Kraken or sports or weather. We're able to talk about where we like to go to eat, where we recommend a, a friend to go to a restaurant because we had a good experience and that's fine, but we don't ever go deeper than shallow. When was the last time you had an honest heart-to-heart -heart conversation with somebody about things deeper than sports or weather or food? When was the last time you sat down, if you're married, with your spouse and got into the depth of where is your marriage heading? What are some of the pitfalls? What are some of the things not going? What are some of the things where you sit back and watch your marriage be become cold, but you don't address it? because it's work and it's hard and, and it's easier just to sort of ignore it or act like it's not there or try to get past it only to wake up 20 years later and stare at each other wondering why you ever got married in the first place. When was the last time as a parent, and I don't care if your kids are adults or they're still kids, when was the last time you had a good heart to heart with your kids? Maybe about some of the things you're concerned about in this world. Things that you see in them that, that raise some yellow flags or orange flags or red flags. When was the last time you asked them about their ambitions and who they're becoming and tried to steer them into how God views them and, and his value and, and, and what the kingdom is about for them and the adventure that God wants to take them on? Too many young people end up becoming bored in their faith and leaving the church because they don't see their faith as an adventure to live. They see it as a bunch of rules to follow. Dear Lord, if that's a picture you and I create as parents, we're doing a disservice to the kingdom of God, but we're doing a disservice to our own children. It's an adventure, and it's insane and crazy and steps of faith at times that comfort is the enemy of. But if we're not helping paint that picture, then that ought to be convicting to us. 
Jesus says some seed fell among the rocky path. And so when we don't create that depth of soul for ourselves or for those around us, the psalmist says deep calls to deep, meaning there's something deep inside of us that that beckons for the depths of who God is and how he's wired us and what he wants of us in this world. But here's the thing, if we don't get to that depth, the inevitable crisis will break into our lives and we don't know how to respond by faith. And the sad part of that picture is this, there's a crash. And that's where so many stories of people that walk away from God. Oh, I did. I've heard many stories as a pastor and maybe you have too as a follower of Christ or somebody who's connected to a church body. People that say, oh, I used to go to church. Oh, I used to be one of those people. Oh, I used to believe that. But then oftentimes, if you listen to the story, they've experienced some level of crisis, some level of pain, some level of trial in their faith, and they walked away. Because instead of processing that pain with the Holy Spirit, they've locked out what God wants to do. They didn't integrate their souls and keep it connected to a source that says, God, what are you doing here? Why am I going through this? How can I learn in the midst of this? But instead, in the middle of the crash, we end up wondering, well, if God really cared, well, if God really existed, and instead of healing, we medicate, and we walk away with a wound never healed, or we walk away, even worse, with an addiction that we don't want. We choose a bottle or or, or a food or a sexual appetite. We choose something that isn't what God desires. What happens is in an injury, think about somebody with a compound fracture, and there's something sticking out of the skin that shouldn't be. And we go, oh, it'll be fine. And we put a bandaid over it, put a sweatshirt on, and we can't see it anymore. We act like, that's, that's, that's it. That's good. It'll be fine. We know that's not right. Go to the doctor. Have them navigate the need for a surgery. Get that bone reset, tucked back in, put where it's supposed to be. Get the surgery so the muscles are put back together, whatever it takes. But guess what? It's going to require a lot more time and a lot more pain than starting with a Band-Aid while the long term is worse. If you go through getting the surgery, it will be better. The same is true with our souls. It goes back to what I said about the hurt and the pain we experience. If we wall off, we're not doing the right thing. Jesus says the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and receives it, listen, with joy. But since they have no root, they lasted only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And then he says this, some seed was scattered among the thorns, okay? And that's this this idea of a soul cluttered with other things along with the seed of what God wants to do, the seed of God's word. And so you have, here's God's word being planted in the soil of our souls, and yet we also have the ambition for success, the ambition for things, the ambition to do it my way, the ambition to think we rely on ourselves and we can control our own destinies. When I've said forever and it's now more clear than it's ever been, control is an illusion. And so here you and I are when Jesus says, some seed fell among the thorns. And it's not that ambition is a terrible thing. It's not that some of our desires are terrible things. But what happens is when those trump God's design and plan for your life and for my life, 
We prioritize what we want to do and what our goals are without that connection to the source of our souls, which we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. And we end up so far off track that it says this, the seed falling on uh, the, the, the thorns or in the thorns is someone who hears the word. But listen, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. And see, here's what's a little tricky here. We think about seed that, that falls on a heart and it begins to grow. And we think, well, isn't God's word bigger than thorns? Isn't, isn't somehow the Holy Spirit bigger than these thorns? Won't, it, won't he overwhelm those things and everything will be fine? I mean, if God were big enough? So maybe there's a tension you feel with that. I was thinking about this as, as I was reading. And, and the truth is, when you think about how God navigates our souls, I believe this. That when, when, when the seed of God's word exists with the thorns of other things, listen to me carefully, it's once again a test of our faith. Are we willing to pull up those weeds ourselves and say, God, here's some of my ambition. Here's some of what I want. Lord, would you take it? And if you're looking to kill it and get rid of it, then so be it because I trust you. God, would you have your way so that I'm not living in my own ambition? See, there's something about that process because it is a test of our souls. Are we vigilant? Are we discerning? Are we alert? As Paul said in Ephesians 6, put on the full armor of God. But then he says, be alert. Armor does no good in battle if we're not alert. Now, I want to read this because, as I mentioned in Soul Keeping, John Ortberg says something important about a chase for wealth and all the things of this world. And I want you to hear, the busy soul gets attached to the wrong things because, listen carefully, the soul is sticky. Now, why do I think that's so important? I think it's so important because inevitably we were created for some level of passion, for some level of, of, of desire for something. The soul is sticky. It's going to desire something. The Velcro of the soul is what Jesus calls desire. It's a desire for money, a desire for success, a desire for power, a desire for personal fulfillment. But that desire, if it remains right there, it's the thorn that will grow up and choke, choke out what God wants to do. That's John Ortberg. John Eldridge is another author I appreciate, and he has a book called Get Your Life Back that uh, my wife is reading right now, and she, she actually read this to me. I said, I want to add that to my notes. It says this, your soul is the vessel God fills, yet there is no room for him to fill your soul when it's wrung out, twisted, haggard, and fried. A soul that's busy with ambition, busy with personal success and what we want to grab the you know, world by the horns, to live somehow successfully with our definition. It says, when we live that way, your soul's a vessel God fills, but there's no room for him to fill it when we're in that state. And then Jesus says that the, some seed fell among the good soil, the good soul. I want you to notice what he says specifically though, if you go back, to verse eight, still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. And now if you fast forward to his explanation, verse 23, Jesus says this, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears 
the word and understands it. Hear means stop to process and comprehend. It's not just to hear it. It's like you and I, when we're telling our kids, hey guys, it's time to head to bed. Hey guys, go brush your teeth. Hey, let's clean the kitchen. Hey guys, and and you say it over and over and over and they're not hearing you. It's because they're not stopping to process what you're saying. And as parents, we feel that all the time. And that's the same, Jesus is saying, you've got to stop and process these words. Stop and process the seed of the word of God within your heart so that you can understand it. See, that's what he says. When you go back to his explanation, the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears and understands it and produces a crop. That's that's the idea of the renewing. I mentioned last week a couple of my favorite verses because I didn't grow up in church world and I didn't know scripture and and a lot of details about religion and spirituality and faith and the Bible. I didn't know a lot. So when I came to faith in Christ, I was on a journey where the first few years I was was unbelievably passionate about being in the word all the time. And I still am to this day. But but back then I realized, especially because of Romans 12, 1 and 2, the need for transformation. And so it says, and write that down, Romans 12, one and two, read it later, memorize it. It says, therefore, I urge you, I plead with you in view of God's mercy. And by the way, in these two verses, he's gonna talk all about the soul because he's gonna mention body, mind, and will. But listen, he says, therefore, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's that journey of renewal. We talk about scripture all the time. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good and pleasing and perfect will. See, if sin and disobedience disintegrates, the soul, then the Holy Spirit invites this wholeness in our lives so that we're integrated will and the mind, emotions, and body all together. That's becoming who God wants in marriage or as as a parent or as a friend or neighbor or, or worker at your job or boss. That's becoming what God wants. And here's my point here. God is always more concerned, and I'm done. God is always more concerned about whom we're becoming than what we accomplish. And I say that because some of the most successful people in the world were terrible at being human beings. They mistreated others, climbed ladders of success, got all kinds of power and accolades and, and finances even. And yet when you hear some of their personal stories, they were disasters as human beings. God is far more concerned about whom you're becoming than what you accomplish. Jesus, today, I pray we would stop and ponder these conversations and think about our own souls and consider later on today or throughout this week at some point looking at some of these notes and thinking, God, where is my soul and how disintegrated am I? And what is there in my life as sin that is keeping me from being integrated the way you desire and connected to you. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen.
Well, listen, before we head out today, I know it's hot and we're going to wrap this up real quick, but real, real quick, there have been some questions about baptism and we do have baptism coming up at the Grove because things are way different. It's not going to look the same as it has. So here's what's happening. Two weeks from now on Sunday, August 30th, we're inviting anybody that wants to get baptized to show up, listen carefully, at 6.30 p.m. at Lundin Park in Lake Stevens and we're going to do baptisms at the lake. Some of us have already done it. Um, I did a baptism last July with seven people. It was awesome. Great celebration. But if you need to get baptized, go to grovechurch.info, click on the baptism link, get signed up. We are not going to gather as a crowd at the beach and be crazy because we're just not doing that. But those that want to get baptized, we're inviting the families to be there at a distance. We're going to be out on the lake. We're going to baptize individuals that want to take that step. But please go to grovechurch.info, click on that link and sign up and we'll get a hold of you and we'll create a flow and we'll get you baptized. We are also taking communion that day on Sunday morning in all three gatherings as well as online. So if you want to bring those elements, we'll remind you or we'll have them available at drive-in. We're going to take communion on Sunday, August 30th, and we're going to baptize Sunday, August 30th. That'll be at 6.30 at Lundin. So wanted to let you know that. Finally, if you know a family struggling to get groceries um, or you're struggling to get groceries, on August 25th, Tuesday night from 5 to 7 p.m., we're going to have another grocery giveaway, and we've got tons of food to give out. We're excited to do that. So let people know that maybe need some groceries or maybe you do. Come up uh, five set, between 5 and 7 here at this, this campus, and we'll have stuff available right out front. So anyway, God bless you. Have a great day. I know it's really hot, so get out of here. Go get an air conditioning or jump in a lake or do something, but be safe. Respect water. Lots of love. God bless you guys. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.